Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. All right. Any Jimmy Fallon fans out there? Anybody like the Tonight Show? A few. Oh, thank you. A few guys in the tech booth. I appreciate you. I'm a big Jimmy Fallon fan. How many of you had a good Thanksgiving, like, like Pastor said? You had a good one? How many of you seriously did overeat? Anybody like myself? How many of you, between now and the end of the year, you just give up on all diets? Like, I know some people, right? Like, after Thanksgiving, you're like, okay, now I'm going to get back in the gym. Some of us know Christmas is coming, New Year's is coming. It's all off till January, right? Just enjoy it. Well, like Pastor said, my name is Corey, and it is an honor and privilege to be here. I get a chance to travel a lot. I have had the privilege of living all over the world. I I grew up in the Southeast, so I say words like ain't and y'all and all that good stuff. Anybody from the South here? I got one. All right. No. Um, Yeah, but I I went from the South, lived down in South America, did ministry in Lima, Peru for a little while. Any Latinos in the house? One? I don't know if that was real or not. Bienvenidos. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Went from uh, South America, got to do a ministry down in South Florida in beautiful, sunny Miami. Went from there over to Western Europe, came back over, got to plant a church in New York City. Any Northeasterners made their way out west? Anybody from New York? One again. Okay, I like this. I'm like a solo crowd person here. And then from there, just been traveling all over Central America, a little bit of North America as well. And all that to say, God has brought me right here today to be with you guys, and I could not be more excited. I've gotten to spend some time with your pastor, getting to know him over the last little bit. And man, I love hearing about what God is doing in and through Timberlake Church. I mean, I love hearing that you guys don't just fill up one service on one day, but y'all fill up multiple services on multiple days, Saturday and Sunday. And y'all don't just fill up multiple services on multiple days, but y'all fill up multiple campuses. You are a part of a movement of God that cannot be contained in one service, in one building, at one time or in one location. How good is that? That's amazing. Okay. All right. I got two clappers in the house. I like it. I like it. It's going to be a good one. Going to be a good one. But all that to say, it is a privilege to be here and be a small part of what God's doing. And we are finishing up a series called Thrive. Thrive. Everybody say Thrive. Thrive. Nice. I like that. And uh, I've gotten a chance to watch the other pastors communicate over the last few weeks, talking about what it means to thrive financially, what it means to thrive in community, what it means to thrive with God. And today we're going to finish out with one of my favorite passages of Scripture, talking about just kind of in general what it looks like to thrive in life. And so if you have your Bible or maybe you have the app on your smartphone, open up, scroll to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Anybody still use paper Bible? Anybody? Okay. Anybody electronic? That's the way we go? Yeah? You're an Apple device, Samsung, you know, if you don't love Jesus. Um, I'm kidding. Hey, another thing I love about this church is it reaches people from all different backgrounds. Like, how amazing is that? Like, you can look to your right and your left, and you can see people younger than you, older than you, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses. And, And I just love reaching into a community that is represented in a church congregation like this. And I say that to say some of you, this may be like your first time in church. 
Like maybe you were wanting to go to the Apple Cup, which I just learned about. The hotel Pastor Ben put me in, the Washington football team is staying there. So I got to like befriend a lot of them last night and I told them, I'll pray for you and since I'm praying for you, you'll win. Um, but uh, what I know about a church like this is some of you, this may be your very first time in church or maybe your first time in a long time or maybe you know nothing about God or none of this Christianese that we speak when we say words like amen and you know theology and sanctification. You're like, what are we talking about? And I just wanna say, if you're one of those people, we are so glad you're here. Like you're the whole reason we do this thing called church is to make you feel welcome and to let you know you can belong here. So just thank you guys if you're one of those one or two people coming here. And we're going to try and put Jesus' word in a context that we can all understand. So we're going to just jump right in. Matthew chapter 5, looking at what it looks like to thrive in our lives. If you're in Matthew chapter 5, say yeah. If you're not, it's going to be on the screens. It's okay. Cheating's okay in church when it's on the screen. We're going to start in verse 38, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what's called a little bit of an exegetical study. Exegetical is just a big, fancy, churchy word that means we're going to go verse by verse, but I just love the Word of God. Like, did you know one word of Scripture can literally change your life? Isn't that insane? Like, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1 that God spoke and the stars in the universe were created. Like he's like a star breather, like literally God spoke and like all of creation came into being. And so one word from God is that powerful. So when we open up the word of God and we dig into it, one word can change the entire trajectory of your family, of your community, of the city. So that's the stuff I'm expecting tonight, right? No pressure. Here we go. So it reads in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, pause. Told you, you're like, oh, this is gonna be a long sermon. Don't worry, don't worry. It's only a few verses. Jesus starts with, You have heard that it was said. This is simply put, you can go to that next, that next slide. Simply put, Jesus speaks our language. Jesus speaks our language. He's standing in front of a crowd. If you are a Bible scholar or have been going to church for a long time, you know Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most popular passages of Scripture. It's probably the greatest sermon ever preached. It was a sermon where Jesus stood on a mountain and preached all day to a group of Israeli people. And so much so, it's so famous, it became known as the Sermon on the Nice, you guys are good, you get it. Yeah, Christianity's hard. Sermon on the Mount, who wrote Matthew, Matthew, who wrote Luke, Luke. It's really easy. And so Jesus is standing on this mountain, and he's preaching all day in this before PA systems and before PowerPoints. And so Jesus is shouting at these people, just trying to get them to learn this entire new kingdom culture that he's bringing. And right in the middle of his sermon, he comes to this part, and he says, you have heard that it was said. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was not born into a palace. Jesus was not born in an affluent family. Jesus was actually born to a blue-collar carpenter family in the nowhere town of Nazareth. In other words, Jesus was a savior of the streets. Jesus kind of came from the ghetto, for lack of a better way to say it. Now, have you no mind, Jesus could speak every language. Because when he was 12 years old, he stepped into the one, of the, one of the most famous synagogues, and he started speaking, and the most educated Harvard and Yale grads of their time were blown away by this 12-year-old and his ability to articulate God's Word. But from the age of 12, he still went back to the nowhere town of Nazareth, growing up with other blue-collar people, being able to transcend socioeconomic statuses. And then here he steps in front of everyone and he says, you've heard that it was said. In other words, he's saying, you know what we say on the streets. You know what the law of the jungle is. You know what we all live by. 
And what is it that he says? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Keep it there. He says, but I say to you, but I say to you in contrast from an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many of you have heard that before? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? We've all heard that. We've all heard that because that's actually the way a lot of the world still works, right? You, you take from me, I'll take from you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You violate me, I'll violate you. Don't tread on me or I'll tread on you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye. But you see, Jesus knew something that the culture didn't. If we live an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it won't be long before his church or rather humanity ends up toothless and blind. In other words, without our bite and without our sight. And he says, there is a better way. And he says, but I say to you, I love the audacity of Jesus right there, right? So this is the way the whole world works, but I'm going to tell you a better way. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, how many of you standing out in the hot sun all day, this strange guy gets up and he starts shouting at you, this new way of living, and he says, if anyone slaps you, I want you to let him slap you again. What would you be thinking? Like, you're crazy, bro. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, that's how, like, we've heard that before, turn the other cheek. It's become like a nice modern colloquialism. But, but back in this day to say, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, ooh, I like that. It's like a sound effect with the mic. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, to just turn and take it on the left was revolutionary. Now, let me be clear here. Jesus was not endorsing pacifism. Jesus wasn't a pacifist. How do we know that? Well, if you've read the Gospels, there's an account where Jesus walked into the church, realized they were trying to turn the church into a marketplace to make profit, and Jesus wasn't about that. So much so that homeboy flipped over the tables, made a whip, and started beating grown men until they left the church. That's in the Bible, if you didn't know. Yeah, Jesus was awesome. So we know Jesus wasn't a pacifist, so, so what's he saying here? He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He was referencing something that his Jewish audience experienced almost on a daily basis. You see, the, the culture in that day and time had been taken over, had been conquered by the Roman Empire. And so imagine you're one of these, like, let's say you're like a six foot five, just like built like just Jewish man in Judea there and you're listening to Jesus and he says this and you're going I know what you're talking about because maybe the day prior you were just hanging out on the corner talking to your friends and that young little 13 year old new recruit Roman soldier comes up to you and he just slaps you in the face only to antagonize you because if you strike back you will be thrown in prison and taken away from your family maybe forever Jesus says, I know you guys know what this is like. When someone slaps you on the right cheek, instead of fighting back, turn to him the left also. Why? Because Jesus knew that true strength is displayed in your self-control. You are truly strong, not when you can display it, but rather when you can control it. And you are truly strong when you don't have to say it, but rather you can control it. And all the spouses in the room said, amen. No. <laughs> right? Because he knew, man, show your true strength. And not having to fight back, but rather having the power to hold back. And then Jesus takes it a step further because he's Jesus. And that's what he always does. 
as if that wasn't enough. He says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Again, imagine you're one of these people and you're like, you want us to get slapped and go naked? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? But again, this was a context that they all understood because that same little Roman soldier could come strolling up to you on a cold winter's night and say, hey, give me your tunic. And you'd have to give it to him. Now, now here, Jesus wasn't necessarily endorsing like a give everything you own away poverty gospel. There's like a poverty gospel out there that says to follow Jesus, you must give everything away. And that's not necessarily biblical. To follow Jesus, it just means you recognize that everything comes from him, and so you're open-handed with everything he gives you. Does that make sense? Everything that flows to you is to flow through you, and it's just a blessing for you to use for his kingdom while it comes to you. And so he's saying, hey, if someone sues you for your tunic, one thing to recognize here, implicit in this statement, is the person is in the wrong. If anyone would sue you for your tunic, if you are in the wrong and you're getting sued for something, go above and beyond to make things right. Why? Because Jesus knew that peace is more important than possessions. Peace is more important than possessions. My young people in the house, middle schoolers and high schoolers, I wish somebody would have told me this. Maybe Now, I say that because older people, adults, I know we never struggle with this. Right? We never struggle with, you know, possessions. It's fine. But the young people in the house, like, I wish somebody would have told me this when it came to my siblings. And we all know this to be true if we had them. You remember, like, fighting over the video game? Or depending on your age, the board game? Like, when you were younger, I don't know. There's different age groups in here. You, you remember you, you fight over it and you get into it and then you get grounded and you just wish, man, I wish I would have just given them 10 minutes to play. Why? Because peace is way more valuable than a possession. Fast forward it to adult life. There are so many confrontations we can avoid if we would stop worrying about the possession and worry about the peace between us and the other person. And Jesus knew this. And again, a step further, imagine that little Roman soldier comes up and says, give me your cloak on that cold winter's night. And you take it off and you give it to him and you say, oh, that cloak is nothing without this tunic. They're a matching set here. Besides, you obviously can't take the cold. Show your true strength and not what you have, but in what you can give. True power is in generosity, not in taking. Again, revolutionary. And then Jesus takes it one step further because he's Jesus. That's what he does. So the first two, it was kind of like a hand grenade at the heart of humanity. He was like, hey, have fun with this one. Oh, just blew up your whole worldview. And then with this next verse, he kind of pulls out the spiritual sniper rifle and aims it right at that part of humanity's heart called selfishness. And it reads, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. If anyone says go one mile, go the extra mile. Have any of you ever heard that saying, go the extra mile? Did you know Jesus was the OG that came up with it? That was, a, that was a Jesus original, trademarked. He was the first to say, go the extra mile. When someone says go one, go two. When someone says go one, go two. Now, I've always heard this, and I thought it was a nice little cliche. Oh, work hard if you love Jesus, right? But there was a word in this passage that kind of perked my interest back when I was studying it a few years ago. And if you'll put that verse back up there, it says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, 
If anyone for and I thought, forces? How can someone force you to go one mile? So I did my research. Because context, when it comes to Scripture, will often reveal a deeper truth. And so the context, again, is the Israeli, the, the Jewish people were conquered by the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire would conquer a nation, they were smart. What they would often do is they would employ people from that people group to kind of be domineering and run that nation still. Hence, King Herod, Jewish king, didn't have any real power, but more of a figurehead. Or the Jewish tax collectors like Matthew. The Romans were smart. We'll make their own people take from them and give to us. That way they're not mad at us. They're mad at their own people. And they wouldn't want to get involved in the daily minutia of running the country. They just wanted to make sure they knew who was in charge. So they had these laws that were called the impressment laws. And impressment laws were simply that. We want to remind you who's running the show to make sure you never get out of line. And one of these laws was called the law of the mile. And the law of the mile simply stated that at any time, day or night, a Roman soldier could come to a Jewish household, knock on the door, door opens, take his one to 200 pound pack off of his mule, throw it at the doorstep and say, law of the mile. And the law dictated that the, Jew, the man of the household, the Jewish man, would have to pick up that pack and walk a thousand paces in any direction that soldier chose. Hence the law of the mile. And the Jewish families hated this law. They disdained, they abhorred this law because the Roman soldiers would abuse it. They just show, they'd know when prayer time is, when dinner time is, in the middle of the night. Law of the mile. They'd walk at one mile in any direction, and then they'd get to another house and knock, 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 law of the mile, just have another guy walk it right back. Just to remind them, we own you. We run this. And so here's Jesus in this context looking at these people saying, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. And they felt a lot like we probably feel right now. No, absolutely not. No, you are crazy. We don't even want to go the first mile, much less the second. Absolutely not. You're nuts. We're out of here. It's hot. You know, like they're just done at that point. Because this was, I mean, they hated it so much. If you were in Judea in that day and time, I had like two little mic stands up here. Oh, there we go. Uh, if you were in Judea at that day and time, what you would see all around the streets, so say if this is your home, the Jewish men would walk off a thousand paces down every major road, and they would put a stake in the ground, and they would like put a color on the top so they knew it was theirs, and they would go down every major road and put these stakes in the ground so that they knew if they got one of those knocks, this was the bare minimum requirement that they had to go. They would fulfill just the bare minimum of what was said. They'd take off that tack, spit on the ground, and walk back because they hated it. And then here's Jesus. And he says, next time someone forces you to go one mile, I want you to go two. And they said, no way. <laughs> Over my dead body, Jesus. Absolutely not. Why? Because Jesus knew to truly thrive in life, to truly find joy, peace, fulfillment, happiness, and gospel representation, it is all never found in the bare minimum. It is all never found in what is required in us, but rather in the above and beyond, in the second mile. I mean, just put it in that context. Imagine you're that 
Jewish guy and you get to that first mile mark and you take a step beyond, in that moment, you finally feel free. Because it's not about what's required of you and what they say you have to do. It's about what you decide to do. True freedom, true joy, true gospel representation is always found in the second mile, never in the first. Never in what's just required of us. So y'all probably sitting out there like, that's cool, but we don't really have a law of the mile today, Pastor Corey. So uh, we're good. But we have stuff that's required of us. And Jesus looks at us today the same way he looked at them and says, Go to, go above and beyond. So where are some areas we can get practical with this? Like, let's just, let's just go there, right? If you don't like me, Ben will be back eventually, so I don't have to come back. So I can just like get all up in your chili. It'll be fun. Where are some areas that we can be second milers, that we can go to? We'll start easy. How about in like our, our home life or rather our relationships? What does it look like to go to in our relationships? I'll start light, um, personal example. So not too long ago, um, I was working with a church down in South Florida, a good buddy of mine, a pastor on that church. He got engaged and he was going to get married and he had saved up and he bought him a house. And I was like, you go, buddy. Way to go. And he bought a house and he said, hey, Corey, you want to you move into the house with me until I get married? Uh, and I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. Live in a new part of town, you know. It'll be great to live with you for the next six months. What I didn't realize is what he was saying is you want to fix the house up and get it ready for my new bride. Okay, misinterpretation, but all right, that's fine. So I moved in, and we did little projects throughout the coming months. And as we approached the wedding date, his bride-to-be, like every bride-to-be, had 387 bridal showers. And she decided that one of them was going to be at the new house. And so he let me know. He gave me the heads up. Nice guy. He said, hey, Corey, just so you know, Olivia, my bride, um, she is going to be doing a bridal shower here this Saturday. So again, I misinterpreted. I thought... Check. Don't be around on Saturday. Got it. Don't want to be around all that estrogen anyway. We're good. And, and so I was like, and he goes, no, 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 no. Um, I was wondering if you could help, you know, clean the place up and do some landscaping on Friday. And I was like, oh, Mike, oh, I wish I could. But I got I to gotta do some sermon prep and I got a couple meetings. Sorry, man. I got to seek the Lord. Can't help you. Chucks. So Friday comes, I wake up early in the morning, they're unloading mulch and rocks and the lawnmower's out and I'm out with my Bible like, sorry, ministry calls, can't help you, man. And so I go to the coffee shop, right? It sounds appalling now. So I get to the coffee shop, I sit down, I have a couple Skype meetings and then I open up the Bible and I'm studying this passage. And I read eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, cloak, tunic. I'm like, Jesus, you're so good. And he gets to, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go with him too. And you ever read a passage of scripture, maybe on like the verse of the day or the devotional the church is going through or just in your own time, and you read a passage and you're like, no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Can we act like I didn't read that one? And I read it and I couldn't go a verse, I couldn't go a word further. I was like, Jesus, come on, bro. And I just kept reading it and I was like, and I just like, I've never had God like speak to me audibly. I borderline don't want him to because I would freak out. Um, <laughs> but it's true. And you ever hear pastors like, God spoke to me. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, I'd probably drop dead. But, but I have had moments where God kind of has pressed his word on my heart, you know. It's one of those just Holy Spirit moments, and it's just like, hey, he's kind of talking to you. And I just felt like in that moment, he kind of pressed on my heart, Corey, are you going to read the word or are you going to do the word? Are you just going to read it and know it or are you going to live it? 
man, I got so mad. You ever get mad at God? Come on. That sounds unspiritual, but it's true. Sometimes if you're real with God, you can get mad at him. And I was like, but I'm doing, I'm praying. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And man, I got so mad, I couldn't get any further. I just like slammed my Bible shut and put it in my backpack. And I went home and I was like, oh, I'll show you the second mile, God. I'm going to go to the third, fourth. Give me them rocks. And I like start putting out mulch and everything and had the worst attitude ever. I was not the hero in this story. But I will tell you, it completely changed the relational dynamic between me and my roommate, Mike. Because he saw that I put him over my preferences. I put him over my other priorities. And I put his future marriage even over what I wanted to do that day. And it propelled our friendship into a whole nother level. Just asking, how can I go the second mile? Let's take it a step further before we leave this relational topic. Um, Yeah, we'll go there. It's okay. (laughs) What does it look like to go the second mile in in our marriages? Mm. Some of y'all are like, please don't, don't do it, don't do it. No, no, I'll give another example. So I, I told you guys I got to pastor down in Lima, Peru. And I was young when I went down there, young and single, leading a church of probably like 70% Peruvians, 30% expats. And and not long after I got to the church, this Peruvian couple that was bilingual, they came up to me and they said, hey, Pastor Corey, um, will you do like marriage counseling with us? And I said, no, absolutely not. And they're like, what are you, and I was like, I'm not married. Like, I'm not going to do marriage counseling with you. I'm sorry. And they were like, oh, okay. And then the next week they're like, hey, we prayed about it. And we really feel like God's telling us to do marriage counseling with you. And I was like, well, he's not telling me that. So no. Um, And I was nicer than that, but that's the gist of it. And I said, no. And then they kept coming back. They're like, Corey, we really feel like we're supposed to meet with you. And finally, they just wore me down. I was like, fine, fine. But here's the deal. I can't speak from experience. I can only speak from what the Bible says about marriage and what I've seen in my parents' marriage because by the grace of God, I come from a phenomenal family, parents that are still together and love Jesus. I said, I can tell you what I've seen from theirs and other godly couples, and I can tell you what the Bible says. You sure? And they're like, yeah, 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 let's meet. So Monday comes around, we meet at the local coffee shop, and they sit down, and like any, if any of you couples in the house have ever been to like couples therapy, first session is just like an excuse to bash each other. It's hilarious. And so and like, well, he does this and she does this. So they launch into that. Well, he doesn't do this and she doesn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, yeah, this is going to really help your marriage. And, uh, and then she launches into, well, he doesn't do this and I do this. And then he cuts her off. And he goes, his name is Miguel. And Miguel goes, well, Pastor Corey, I- I'm a good husband. You are, I'm a good husband. Like, I never cheat on her. I make sure there's food on the table and I provide. I would take a bullet for her. And I just kind of let things settle. And I say, okay, Miguel, let's start with you. Because you're the man in lead. So let's start with you. You just said I'm a good husband because I don't cheat. I provide and I take a bullet for her, right? Yeah. We had just gone over this passage in our Bible study. And I said, okay, so you don't cheat. You're faithful. Low bar for a good husband. And then he says, I provide. I was like, check. You know, again, low bar. And he says, and I take a bullet for her. So you protect. I said, Miguel, I know four-year-old boys that would take a bullet for a woman. That doesn't make you a good husband. That just makes you a man. And I said, Miguel, I think you just described the bare minimum requirements of what it means to be a husband. It's, it's no coincidence that you guys don't have peace and joy and fulfillment in your marriage because maybe you're defining success by what's barely required of you. And then I looked at her and she goes, no, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. You don't have to do me, you don't have to do me. <laughs> 
But it's so, it's so eye-opening when we live out Jesus' words here and we say, it's not about what's required of me, it's about the above and beyond. It's amazing what God will open up in our lives. Let's just go to two more practical places we can go to. How about in our careers and the workplace, right? How many of us have jobs? How many of us have had a job? How many of us just would love a job? Amen. Come on. All right. There we go. We'll pray for you guys. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah, like in your jobs, in your workplaces, what does it look like to to go to? There's a great old story from uh, the Ford Motor Company. Uh, Story goes, Henry Ford, who, you know, started Ford Motors, bought Lincoln Motor Company. Lincoln Motor Company was going bankrupt, was having a really well time. So Henry Ford saw a business opportunity and he bought it. And he wanted to figure out why they weren't being successful. So he spent a few weeks observing them. And he kind of watched the Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln Motor Company team. And the story goes that he kind of developed a plan. So he went up to the top floor of the Lincoln Motor Company office building where all the executives worked. And he, he took a giant log, like this big old log, and he placed it right outside the elevator door of the top executive floor of the Lincoln Motor Company. And he just waited to see what would happen. And you know what happened? A day went by and people... First day, doors open up, and they why is this log here? Where somebody needs to move this log? And they'd walk around her, they'd step over, somebody got to get this log. Second day came through, why? What is this log still doing here? Third day, four, you know how long that log sat there? Two weeks. Nobody touched it. So you know what Henry Ford did? He fired everyone that worked on that floor. Fired every single executive, every single assistant. He fired everyone that worked on that floor. Why? Because he didn't want people that were doing the bare minimum, that were working according to their job requirements, but rather they would do whatever is needed to solve whatever problem was in front of them, regardless of the small print on their business card. He wanted people that would go the extra mile. And if you've worked in corporate America for any amount of time. You know those people that are doing the bare minimum requirement, right? I call them clock watchers. You know, like it's like 4.55, they're already like packing up. 4.58, they're like almost to the door. 4.59, they're like counting, like five o'clock, I'm out, right? And it's the same people that are doing the bare minimum requirement that always wonder, why don't I get the raise? How come they got the promotion? Maybe it's because you're working in the first mile and God calls us to be people of the second mile, to, to go Two, last place, what does it look like to go to in our spiritual lives? Like, like in the, in, in, if you're a part of this church, in the church, what does it look like to, to go the extra mile in your walk with Jesus? And, and I, I was thinking about this one. I kind of came up with a question that I asked myself, kind of an introspective question. Don't answer out loud. But this is a very clarifying question for me, for what does it look like to go to in my church, in my spiritual life? And and, and here's the question I like to ask myself. If everyone prayed like I pray, served the church like I serve, and gave like I give, what would the church look like? If everyone prayed like I pray, served like I serve, and give like I give, what would the church look like? Now, when we ask ourselves that question, some of us get excited. Some of us are like, "Woo, man, man, every time them doors are open, I'm there. I'm on the parking team. I'm pouring coffee. Man, you can't keep me out of the house of God. And you're like, man, pray, dude. I'm on my knees. Man, my, my wood floor's got marks into my knees. No, nobody's that spiritual. But 
And you're like, man, give, man, that whole tithing thing that pastor was talking about last week or that, that uh, man, that's the old school, man. I know it's all from God. So whatever I can give, I, I, some of us, that gets us excited because we're like, man, if everybody was doing what I was doing, we would be unstoppable. But for many of us, if we're being honest, that question can be a little convicting. I mean, even for me in some seasons. Because we know there may be an area where we're doing the bare minimum and God is calling us to the second mile. And this is why this is so key, guys. Because when, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we say yes to him, I hope you recognize that we serve a second mile savior. You see, it, God didn't just create us, he loved us. And then he didn't just love us, he forgave us when we fell as humanity. And then he didn't just forgive us, he, he sent his son for us. Then Jesus didn't just come for us, he lived perfectly for us. Then he didn't just live perfectly for us, he died sacrificially for us. Then he didn't just die for us, he rose from the grave for us. Then he didn't just rise from the grave for us, it says he went into heaven for us. Then he doesn't just go to heaven, he prepares a place for us. Then he doesn't just prepare a place for us, it says he's coming back for us. Jesus lives in the second, third, fourth, tenth, the hundredth mile. And when he says, follow me, what he's saying is, come out of your preconceived notions of what you think faith, joy, happiness, and fulfillment is, and really follow me and watch what I do in your life, in your family, in your workplace. And just imagine in Judea, in that day and time, like you're one of those families and Jesus finishes his sermon on the mountain. And it's hot and you've been standing out in the sun all day and you walk home and you're like, that dude was crazy. He's off his rocker. Like that, that was, I, the whole slap thing, okay. Tunic, whatever. But the extra mile, no way. Sure enough, the next day comes around. You've had a long day working, whatever job it was. And sure enough, at the end of the day, and you're thinking, not today. Any day, just not today. Please don't. Sure enough, you open the door, boom, 200-pound pack. Law of the mile. pick it up and you hate it. You hate every step. Then you start walking out your door. Maybe by the 100, 150 step, you start remembering that crazy dude Jesus on the hill the day before. Man, that guy was nuts. And then you start remembering what he was saying. And then maybe by step 338, you remember, that dude said go to. No way. <laughs> step 448. What if I did? Nope, 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 nope. Not going to do it. Step 613, what if I just tried it? If I step up 800, you're kind of making up your mind. You know what? Whatever, I'm just gonna give it a shot. Step 950, you can see your mark coming. The soldier can see it too. Step 998, step 999, 1000, and you don't even stop, you just keep walking. Imagine what that did in that moment. That soldier goes, hey, hey bro, you don't have to go any further. That was your mark right there. And he says, I know, I'll do another one with you. Where are we heading? What does that do? Immediately he goes, no, 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 you don't have to. I know, I'll do another one, come on. Why would you, it begs the question, why would you do this? You don't have to do this. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. And all of a sudden, step by step, second mile by second mile, soldier by soldier, a community, a city, a nation 
was changed. Not because people just proclaimed the words of Jesus, but because they lived like him. Extra mile by extra mile. See, Timberlake Church, that's my prayer for you guys in this season, especially in this holiday season, as we got family members coming in and out, as we probably got new endeavors starting in January, new uh, fiscal season starting, whatever it is that, that this year our prayer would be, we would be a go-to type of people, that our marriages would reflect the second mile, not the first, that our families would be about what can I do for you, not what do I have to, and that as we step into the second mile, God would continue to give us what he promised, that true peace, that true joy, that true fulfillment, that real gospel representation because we serve a second mile savior. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 